Hi, I'm Kathy Anderson. Welcome to Overcoming Child Sexual Abuse, the podcast. It's never too late to overcome the effects of child sexual abuse. And here, each week, we're going to do that together. It's time to fully step into all of the incredible life that's ahead of you. I'm so grateful to the wonderful Dr. Meg Jay for taking time today. And before we begin, I want to share just a little about Dr. Meg. Dr. Meg's books have been translated into more than a dozen languages, and her work has appeared in the Oprah Magazine, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, and on NPR and BBC. Her TED Talk is among the most watched, with almost 12 million views. Dr. Meg is a clinical psychologist and an associate professor of human development at the University of Virginia. She earned her PhD in clinical psychology and gender studies from the University of California, Berkeley. And for decades, Dr. Meg has helped individuals as well as companies, universities and think tanks around the globe. And today she is here with us. Welcome, Dr. Meg Jay. Kathy, thank you. It's great to be here. I am so incredibly grateful to you for taking the time to be here and for all the work you have done over decades to help people. Thank you. Um, well, it's honestly been my pleasure or maybe my privilege is a better word. It's, it's really wonderful work, um, you know, working with people as they're trying to, you know, make their lives all that they want them to be. And so it's, a, it's very rewarding work to be doing. And for that reason, we have so much to talk about on the topic of overcoming child sexual abuse. And I'm, I'm truly excited um, because there is so much opportunity to move beyond childhood abuse, especially given all we know now. And you have contributed so much to this through your books, your research, um, and your clinical practice, working with real people and real stories and real trauma. So first, can you share your story that led you to and through this work? Why did you journey along this path? Yeah, I have uh, two books out and both of them are really have been inspired by my clients that I mean, maybe the way the universe works is that it seems like for both of them and you and I, I think are going to be talking mostly about the second one supernormal. Um, the universe has seemed to send me clients in clusters. And so it's, it seemed like for many years, most of the clients who found their way to my office were, you know, adults, young adults, middle-aged adults who had grown up with a fair bit of adversity, but were actually functioning quite well. I mean, certainly on the outside, they were successful or, you know, in relationships, kind of those outward markers of success. Um, inward, inside, they were still struggling a lot and felt kind of alone with the trajectory that they had been on and that they had sort of fallen up, as people say. So anyhow, um, so many of those clients came to me and I would hear them say, I feel like I'm the only one. I feel so alone in this experience. I knew they weren't the only one because I would see many in a week with a similar story. So I 
decided to write Supernormal and put all those stories together so that people could see they were actually in really good company. Yeah, and that's the thing really uh, terribly is that so many are in really good company, you know, as you said, because there are so many people who have experienced childhood trauma and who are still living through it and so many great people who can help, um, but it is difficult to reach out. And so this is why, again, I'm so grateful for you spending the time here to share your insights and learnings uh, to help, to help us. And before we go too much further, too, I also want to extend thanks to the brilliant Adam Grant for introducing us. We wouldn't be talking mm-hmm. today otherwise. He's a great guy. I, as I told you, anything for Adam, he's a he's a really great guy. He, he his insights are so uh, life transforming, and you know his recent book, Think Again, particularly speaks to the opportunity we have to take what we know or think we know and rethink it, right? mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. into ways that create new pathways and opportunities beyond what we may have thought possible otherwise, which is really core to what we're going to be talking about. How do we see opportunities and pathways beyond what we think might be possible because mm-hmm. of the childhood trauma that we experienced? Right. right? And before we jump into our three key topics today, I want to share with you how I experienced your book, Supernormal, because it was profoundly moving for me. And I think for anyone who reads it, there is so much in this book that sparked so many aha and yes moments because you so accurately tap into thoughts and feelings I still have from my childhood abuse Mm. and that we know many others do. I had a lot of thank you moments also Mm. Mm -hmm. because you made me feel that I wasn't an outlier Mm -hmm. because of all that I still feel and experience. Um, And I feel pretty together most of Uh the time. I I appreciate hearing that. That was really what... I wanted to do with, well, that was part of what I wanted to do with the book was that for people to see themselves and feel understood and understand themselves better. And so I appreciate hearing that that's what happened for you. Well, you you made me realize, and I think many others, that I've tried to be a superhero through, (laughs) as you say, through my abuse, kind of getting through my childhood and many adult years keeping the abuse a secret, you know, protecting Mm -hmm. my father, my mother, my siblings, and you highlight how common that is. Yes. And on the upside, you know, you highlight that that can serve us to survive and we can continue to be superheroes and turn all that we've experienced into ways to help others. But at the same time, on the downside, it can trap us. Mm-hmm. That it's it's it can be exhausting. I mean, if not phys- well, physically and emotionally. And I think that's what I was saying with so many of my clients. You know, they were very high functioning people who had quote adapted well or fallen up. And you know, and for people who did know about 
their histories, they would say, you're amazing, you're so strong, you're so incredible, you know, all those sort of superheroic adjectives. And those were all true. But what we also know about the stories of superheroes is they can feel really alone with that, or they can feel like they they never get to stop Mm -hmm. um, being a superhero. Or maybe, you know, they come home to an empty house at the end of the day, because, you know, being a superhero is kind of taken all of what they have to offer. So, you know, it was interesting. Most of my clients talked about identifying when they were growing up with a particular superheroic figure and and said, I just really tapped into this sense of that I'm strong and I'm going to overcome this and I'm going to battle back and I'm going to save other people. And that's all fantastic. And the book really lauds that. Um, At the same time, it recognizes you know, some of the physical and emotional costs of that, I mean, which, you know, at a minimum are, it can be exhausting. It can. And again, it's the challenge, right, to turn those things that are really exhausting into something that fuel us going forward, but in an authentic way, you know, Mm -hmm. not in a way that just actually drains us more and more. Um, So we're going to uh, jump into three topics. So let's just start by talking about the first of those, and that's new insights that help us to understand how childhood trauma affects adults. And you've highlighted that it's a relatively new insight that there is no such thing as a one-stop definition of the trauma that results Mm -hmm. from child sexual abuse. It's not textbook, and it's not one size fits all. I know I've often felt put in a box when I've started, mm-hmm. uh, right? When I've, when I've shared that I was sexually abused. And often that's one thing that stops many people from reaching out um, to tell or to seek help. So how does that insight help us understand the ongoing struggles we experience as adults and how to deal with those? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many directions to go with this, but I would say that the two that first come to mind are I you know when when people hear that I've written this book and it's about growing up with adversity they say oh it's about kids and I say well no it's actually it's about adults but it's about adults who as children grew up with adversity because for many you know the early years are spent getting through that and battling back against that and then it's in adulthood when statistically speaking, people are more likely to first share or to first tell someone to first try to confront the experience emotionally and psychologically, that actually usually doesn't happen until adulthood. So that's one reason why our childhood adversities often feel like they affect us in adulthood is because that's when we start to talk about them and come to terms. Um, The other piece of that is that it's a relatively new discovery or understanding that, um, you know, adversities like childhood sexual abuse tend to be cumulative. Um, So they often are not, you know, a a one-time situation, or at least the stress around that tends to be somewhat chronic in terms of their being continued interaction with the person or, you know, continued instances. And so, you know, what we know about cumulative stress or chronic stress when you're young it builds up over time and those effects are often first felt in young adulthood. And so you will often see people in their college years and their 20 something years first 
discussing these topics and first kind of becoming physically aware of the effects and that they start to struggle with depression or anxiety or exhaustion or, you know, feelings of alienation. And so, um, so, you know, my book before Supernormal was a book about young adults, which is a big specialty area of mine. And one reason that led me to Supernormal is that so many young adults or adults who were getting married or having kids are often confronting for the first time experiences they had when they were young. Yes. And when you uh, spoke about that in your, your book, it resonated so much with me when you really talked to how much that buildup of trauma over time affects us in so many different ways and that it's not just the type uh, of adversity that we suffered, but mm-hmm. the amount of unrelieved trauma and stress over time that creates that buildup. You know, and we've all felt that yeah. boiling point, yeah. right? From I mean, I th- yes, and I think that's really important for people to understand. It's actually also what joins the community of childhood sexual abuse to, you know, other communities. You know, maybe having alcoholism in the home or a a sibling who's mentally ill, those those are very different stressors, yet the body is still going through sort of that chronic cumulative stress that builds up, like you're saying, over time. And so many people who may have had a different adversity can still relate to that experience of having a secret and of working very hard to, um, you know, go to school every day and pretend like everything's fine. And then day after day to come home and not know what's going to happen next. Um, that those are really, um, you know, experiences they unite a lot of people with different adversities. Right. And it really brings up the issue of unresolved trauma that is so toxic and often re-traumatizing and, that uh, you know, you've highlighted how we're affected by our childhood trauma now depends on so many factors, and mm-hmm. you highlight some of those nature, and some of them are nurture. How old we are when it happened, how long it lasted, mm-hmm. how much it changed our lives, how we coped at the time, how others react when we tell them, you know, the sources Mm -hmm. of support we have now, um, the successes we can draw upon. So knowing that now, what can we most importantly do today to catch up on those things? And can we, is that really possible or is that only for caped crusaders (laughs) or or television movies or television Um, movies um you know it's absolutely possible and it's actually what you you don't see the caped crusaders doing and that's you know that's a little bit of the loop that i felt like some of my clients were stuck in of i have to keep being strong and i have to keep saving the day or i have to be the strong one for my family and um, that's cumulative stress because um, as, as admirable as an, as an important that is as a role that you may be playing in your family or community, it's still tiring and stressful on the brain and the body. So the good news is, is that the same way that cumulative stress builds up, um, over time, cumulative um, good 
good experiences accumulate too. And so a lot of the book is about how people heal themselves or step out of that role or make that role sort of uh, more well-rounded for themselves. And so that would include, you know, having relationships where you're not just being the helper, but maybe other people are helping you. And, you know, maybe that's a therapist, but it could be a friend or a partner or a minister or, you know, any number of sources. So talking about it, seeking help and support, um, finding a community of support, and just really taking good care of yourself um, physically and emotionally as an adult is very important because you're, you're truly healing your body and brain from years, even decades of cumulative stress. And so when we think about it that way, it makes perfect sense to say it's very important to make sure that you you're being as healthy as you can be and that you're creating a safe environment for yourself so that you can start dialing that stress down. And over time that also builds up and that also accumulates. And that is, uh, in my opinion, where healing comes from. It's probably not going to come from a particular epiphany or, or one particular thing, but you know, the accumulated good moments are eventually going to outweigh what came before. Okay, so this is why you're so fantastic. So you just gave me like an aha and a yes and a thank you moment all in (laughs) one when you said that really that cumulative good experiences can overcome the cumulative bad experiences, stress. Because sometimes we don't think that we don't believe it we don't realize it we we get tired exhausted Mm -hmm. as you said before and when you say that cumulative good experiences can overcome that and help us to feel positive the one thing each day that we can do that i think gives everyone hope and it sounds achievable yeah and i think it is it is something we need to talk about more because I do think that the field of psychology, one thing they've done well over the past 20, 30 years is get the messages out about childhood adversity and chronic stress and how it builds up and causes problems in adulthood. And we that's people are understanding that more and that's fantastic. However, it sometimes leaves people feeling like, well, I'm I'm done for, you know, my life's going to be shorter. I'm going to have all these physical and emotional health problems. Um, We haven't yet done as good of a job explaining that the whole thing works in reverse and that loving relationships, you know, if we all agree uh, and the data is all there that stressful or abusive or toxic relationships, they ramp up our stress hormones over time. Our bodies are overexposed to those. It's wear and tear on the brain and the body. I think everybody really gets this now. What we don't talk enough about is every healing relationship, every positive relationship, positive experience, safe place, um, you know, kind of good environment, good experiences that those build up to and that over time they kind of downshift the body out of a place of chronic stress and into a place more of chronic healing. And over time, you will hear people say, yeah, I'm, I'm past that now. I, I feel healed. But it may, I mean, if, if your adversity went on for 
years or decades. This isn't going to unwind overnight, but it absolutely can unwind. One good person, one good day, one good experience at a time. Right. And just uh, being patient and caring of ourselves Mm -hmm. through that, right? Yes, absolutely. Wow. So, okay, let's um, shift into the second topic uh, today, which is the notion of normal and how that helps or harms us. And you highlight that there may be no more dangerous judgment about childhood adversity than the notion that one is abnormal because of it. And in correct, right? Mm-hmm. And in supernormal, um, you talk about superheroes, and you mm-hmm. highlight the difference between, for example, which I love, Batman and Spider Man, and that it was Spider Man who disrupted the image of the Cape Crusader. That he was more of this accidental and reluctant hero than mm-hmm. a purposeful or enthusiastic one. Right. Right. He wasn't only <laughs> he wasn't only Spider Man, but he was a human with flaws and contradictions and mm-hmm. and when i read that i thought this speaks so powerfully to the notion of not only normal but also our quest for perfection and, and putting on a cape mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. which which might do more to hide what's truly inside and then we often play superhero to ourselves but in doing so we just deny and disguise our suffering in the hope that you know we won't see it and experience so much so can you talk more about this concept of normal and mm-hmm. how it helps or harms us? Yeah, so I, I have found with my clients anyway that, like like I wrote in the book, which you so nicely quoted, that this feeling that people are alone and abnormal are two of the most um, – I don't know if harmful, but two of the most, uh, I guess, detrimental kind of thoughts and feelings to take away from childhood sexual abuse or other early adversities. I mean, of course, they're incredibly common because of that. You know, people feel like I'm the only one and this doesn't happen in other families that therefore I'm alone and I'm abnormal. Um, But that sense of being abnormal really gets in the way of a couple of things. One is connecting with other people fully, because if you're not normal, then you don't want to tell people the reality of your situation. So it keeps you apart. Um, but also it, you know, you're in a perpetual one, one man down position of, you know, never as good as the other people at work, never as good as the other people at school, because if only they knew how abnormal you were. And so, of course, the clients that I was working with, A, I knew that statistically speaking, unfortunately, they were normal in that if we put the 10 most common childhood adversities together, which include but aren't limited to childhood sexual abuse, then you're looking at well over 50% of kids grow up with at least one of these adversities, often more because, you know, often one leads to another to another within a family or a community. Um, so my clients are a lot more normal than they think they are, you know, unfortunately or fortunately in, in terms of the statistics of it, but also that feeling that they're abnormal really undercuts, you know, how amazing that it has been that how well many of them have coped. I mean, many of my clients are, 
you know, really stood out in school or in sports or at work. I mean, they're quite resilient, quite successful, but this perpetual feeling of I'm not, yeah, but I'm not normal. People just don't know it just cuts it all off at the knees. And so um, I was reading some old literature about uh, resilience. This was from like the seventies or eighties and somebody quoted a child or, or was talking about a child who was resilient and they referred to them as super normal. And as soon as I saw that, I thought that's got to be the title of the book mm-hmm. because I felt that we needed to flip this conversation from growing up with adversity being something that's not normal to getting through childhood adversity as being something that's incredibly common and that people are getting through it in quite super normal ways all the time. And um, so, yeah, so I'm not a fan of the concept of normality because, you know, we usually find out that, Hey, what is that even, you know, it's like a statistical phantom. Um, But often what it does more than anything, it just leaves people on the outside. So I wanted to give, you know, give my clients a label or give readers a label that they felt could take pride in, um, which they deserve because they have a lot to be proud of in terms of how and what they've overcome. When we live each day with that and without definitions of normal or abnormal, and we just have to kind of meet ourselves where we are um, beyond any definitions that others may put on us, but just Mm-hmm. ourselves um that i think results in an extreme amount of vulnerability which is stressful um and if mm-hmm. you're already stressed that doesn't feel good um and it seems to me that we need to come to terms with self vulnerability uh, that we need to become vulnerable with ourselves so that we can be real with ourselves about where we're weak and build back, mm-hmm. you know, those most broken and damaged parts that feel the worst to touch. Mm-hmm. Have you found that? And are there ways we can gently become more self vulnerable? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean, it is, I mean, as you're talking about it, and I was thinking about it, it is often around letting go of the idea that, that one is abnormal. I mean, what I find a lot with my clients is that maybe it's the least, the place they're the least vulnerable is maybe work or school or their community where they can sort of go out and be strong and, and kind of show, look at all my, the strengths that I've built up, you know, because of, or in spite of, what I grew up with, whether people know what that is or not, um, that that is a place, you know, of incredible accomplishment, which is fantastic, um, but also a place where people get to feel strong and not vulnerable. The vulnerability often comes in with relationships. And by, I mean, relationships with a capital R of any relationships. And so, you know, I think a therapist's office or maybe a best friend, you know, is often the first place that people experiment with, I'm going to be vulnerable and share this with another person and see, um, 
what happens. And, you know, romantic relationships can be even more challenging, especially, you know, in the context of sexual abuse, you know, as a, as a background. And so, you know, I think it often starts just that self vulnerability to me often starts in the context of a relationship um, in, in that you're making yourself vulnerable by letting someone see or know about all of your experience and, you know, not knowing how they're going to react. And, you know, people don't always react in ways that are helpful. They don't. And and you talk about that a lot. And uh, you mention a whole lot of different relationships there. And some of those relationships, as you mentioned, are friends um, and just trusted people that Mm -hmm. you feel you can uh, have a safe place to share but sometimes you don't know and then you mention like romantic and intimate relationships and wow it's it's interesting that you should mention that because that's actually one of the things that led me to actually uh, or triggered me to to start this podcast um, because I you know, have been in a new relationship for just over a year and it's the most beautiful relationship. Mm. Um, but it's like once you really get into that place of wanting to be completely open with someone, it gets really vulnerable. Mm. And I found surprisingly, I didn't expect to be just triggered so much all of a sudden in ways that hadn't happened before. Like I had it together, I was fine. And then this like beautiful relationship was resulting in me because I wanted to share. That meant going into those kind of yucky places um, to, right? To, because you want to share and grow with someone. And I was like, gosh, I'm 52 years old and I feel like I, I, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing good, you know, um, Mm -hmm. still got lots to work on. But, and and I think, wow, you know, there are so many adults that are still struggling through this. And and especially with things that are most meaningful to us and that we want that loving relationship and just that deep Mm -hmm. connection with someone yet that can be actually the thing that's most difficult and triggers so much that we just have to be able to say, okay, I'm going to dive into this. It's going to feel right. pretty yucky, but yeah, I've got to do it. I mean, it does tend to be the last frontier and I mean, I don't want to overgeneralize, but it is often the last frontier because I think for good reason, you know, people start with the, I mean, this is absolutely as it should be. They start with the safest bets. And so those tend to be, you know, a therapist, a best friend, a, you know, a family member that you really trust or a clergy member, whoever that is for you. Um, and that's where people dip their toe in the water of, let me tell you the whole situation about me, or let me mm. tell you all this yucky stuff that I'm feeling about myself and why. And um, that's a, it's a very powerful start, but I, I make a point with my clients to say, I'm a good place to start. I'm not a good place to end, Um, that I really want them to broaden that out to, you know, and if it's whatever that is for you, if it's to friends or to family members, you know, and if it becomes to an intimate relationship, great. Um, That may not be where it ends for everyone, but you're absolutely right that I think people broaden that out, you know, into more and more 
vulnerable, you know, situations. But intimate partners tend to be kind of the ultimate, you know, because not only is there physical intimacy, but there's also, it's not, it's not a situation where you have an appointment once or twice a week and then you can just walk away and say, well, I'm not going to go there again <laughs> until Tuesday at two o'clock um, that, you know, intimate relationships are, you know, poss- possibly with us, you know, all day, every day or, you know, for many hours at a time. And so we can't kind of titrate it in ways that we might be more comfortable doing. Um, and then, of course, you know, the physical intimacy, you know, may bring a lot back for people. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that um, I continue to learn through this is that it takes us to open ourselves and reveal and be real with the things that have happened to us with those people who are close to us, you know, our friends, um, our family, um, others who we we want to be in our lives, um, but we haven't really been real because it's scary to do that. So we hold mm. back. And when we hold back, people can't possibly really understand us because they don't mm. know us. They don't know. You know, I, I didn't tell my mother about the abuse by my father until um, I wrote my first book because I was writing mm. a book. So I thought, gosh, I have to tell my mom. Mm. Um, how how old were you, Kathy? Uh, when I told my mother, yeah. mm-hmm. so uh, that was um, 15 years, 10 years ago. So I was okay. just over 40 when I told okay. my mom and I'd never told her before mm-hmm. uh, for all the reasons. And we're going to talk about uh, secrets in okay. the next podcast a lot. Um, right. But what I realized too is that I hadn't given her the chance to have mm-hmm. a real relationship with me because I hadn't shared what had happened. And right. so how was she possibly to know and then to be able to give me the support that she could have given me maybe right. 10 years earlier and or right. 20 years earlier. And it really made me pause to say, gosh, you know, how much do we rob ourselves of true intimate mm-hmm. supportive relationships because we don't share those things that have happened to us. And not only the bad things, but our dreams too, like mm. the positive things we want for ourselves so people can be there for us to overcome the bad stuff right. and right support us as we do the things that we want to really step into uh, all we want. Yes, and you know, we may talk about this more with the next podcast, but if if people don't know something really significant about us, you know, especially a childhood adversity, there's always a, an internal, yeah, but um, that when people do love us or tell us we're amazing or strong or, you know, someone says you're so successful or so accomplished, there's still that, yeah, but you don't really know. Mm-hmm. And so it ends up, you know, even undercutting the positive that does happen feels like, well, if only they knew, they wouldn't really think that. And so I think when people know all there is to know about us, then then the positive really sticks more. It's, yes, I know. And I think you're amazing and so strong and so kind. And, you know, I know it versus, well, you're only saying that because you only see the good stuff or you don't know about my secret. Um, so it it really keeps relationships 
keeps us from being able to take in relationships as authentic or, you know, the positive as real because people, there's like an asterisk by it in our own minds. There's a huge asterisk. And when you said, you know, if only you knew what I had really gone through, you would understand. I can't tell you the amount of times that I thought that. And as you said, so many of us think that so many times. But at some point in time, we have the aha. Well, if we don't share, how Mm -hmm. are they to know? Um, But it's scary and it's difficult Mm -hmm. and um, it's it can hold us back um, so much. And so we will talk a lot more about that uh, next week. And um, and I think that's going to be a really powerful conversation. So then let's talk about the last topic for today which is about our choices, that we have the ability to lead a life that is happy and fulfilled, directed by our adult choices Mm -hmm. and not by our childhood abuse, right? Yes. Um, And in your book, you mentioned before your other book, The Defining Decade, you highlight that today – Young women and men have far more options for starting anew to get themselves to a better or safer place, and that young adulthood is an inflection point for many. And Mm -hmm. you talk about how it's a time when one good move or a series of good moves can redirect the life of the family hero or anyone, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And that's so true. So here's the thing. When I read that, and I reflect on, on, on that, you know, many of us, it was, a, it was you know, a powerful reflection, many of us who experienced child sexual abuse missed that inflection point. Right? And we had far less ability to make those good moves because we were trying to just survive the effects mm-hmm. of trauma. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So how do we recreate that inflection point now and how can we see you know new opportunities each day um, and make those choices make those good moves that we Mm -hmm. missed out on and truly believe that it's not too late right um yeah i mean i think adulthood is you know is a series of inflection points. And, you know, there's a great quote by George Eliot that says, it goes something like, you know, it's never too late to be what you might have been. And so, you know, I think 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, that it's always up to us to create those inflection points, to dare to take those inflection points. Um, The reason I was focusing on 20-somethings in that book is that it tends to be a period of time where people are transitioning to that kind of aha moment that, oh, yeah, this is actually my life and I'm actually driving this and I'm in charge. And um, that that can be a big shift from, you know, when you grow up and you feel like, well, all the grownups are making decisions and I'm just in the backseat. And so to try to help people understand as early in adulthood as possible that, hey, you know, you're you're navigating this. Um, But also it was because even though in the defining decade, I barely went there. I don't know if you noticed, and um, there was a story in the book about a woman named Emma 
who definitely grew up with childhood adversity. I'm trying to remember the story correctly because I've, you know, changed so many details around for confidentiality, but she grew up, I believe her father was an alcoholic and maybe committed suicide. Um, And I was working with her as a 20 something and I could see how important and empowering it was for her to realize it's your life now and you get to decide and you get to design your family and pick your family and decide what your home is going to feel like on the inside. And now you get to do it. And that that was, you know, might seem obvious to an outsider, but to Emma, that was news. And um, so I guess part, so I'd hint at that in the defining decade, um, but that's, absolutely what supernormal is about. It's about, you know, these are adults who are trying to figure out how do I have a better life as an adult than I had as a kid. And some of them are grappling with that at 25. Some of them are grappling with that at 45. I mean, it's, and as you're saying, you might grapple with it in some ways at 20 or 30 or 40, but then in a completely different way at 50 because of a different life circumstance or a different partner or just a different stage of life. And so, you know, I would say that's an ongoing process in adulthood for everyone, but one that's especially poignant for um, people who grew up with adversity when feeling like I get to decide, you know, that I get to do it differently. I get to do it better. I get to decide. That's a very powerful place to be in, especially after growing up and in many ways feeling quite powerless. Yeah, and that comment, I get to decide, that mindset, I get to decide the direction, my direction, is the one thought that we can take hold of and try and identify what we can do each day to then make that choice. And what can I do for myself today, the smallest thing I can do? even Mm -hmm. sometimes. And you highlighted um, in the defining decade that those who changed direction did so because they were able to see and to seize a second chance at life. And I love Mm -hmm. the words you use there, to see and to seize a second chance at life. And it seems we need to get comfortable with feeling the fear and doing it anyway, um, which is part of that. And, uh, you know, in Cheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, um, Cheryl asked the question, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Um, Mm. Which we've heard many times now. Um, But choosing differently can be scary and Mm. uncertain. Um, So what have you found to be kind of simple ways that can help us step into that uncertainty and feel okay about it or feel okay with not feeling okay. Right. Um, You know, before I answer that, I do want to say about this, you know, choosing differently is that one thing I think, and this is again, I think where the field needs to do a better job with, you know, their press releases is that we've we've all heard about the cycle of violence and the cycle of abuse and the cycle of alcoholism and the cycle of divorce, you know, all the cycles. And, you know, much of that research is actually based on some pretty shoddy data. 
and that it's highly individual whether or not you, um, you know, grow up to repeat the past or grow up and you're determined to do it differently. And there's a, a great parable in Supernormal that I share that a minister told me about. And it's, you know, a minister has two bro- adult brothers in his office and they were raised by, in this case, I think it was an abusive alcoholic. And one of the brothers has grown up to be an abusive alcoholic and the other one has grown up to be an upstanding citizen and a great dad and, you know, a sober man. And the minister says to the brothers, um, how do you think you came to be what you are? And they both had the same answer. And that was, given how I grew up, how could I not? And so where one saw inevitability of, you know, the history is going to repeat itself, the other saw I have no choice but to do this differently, to do this better, to decide this for myself in a different way. And I think it really speaks to how I don't know that we'll ever solve the riddle for how one person or why one person, you know, turns right while another turns left. But I do know that part of what gets in the way with many of my clients, it's, it is the fear, like you're saying, but there's also just this, uh, kind of messaging or kind of belief around I can't have a a happy relationship because of what I've seen or been through or done. You know, I can't have a quote normal life because I didn't grow up that way. And um, I see people doing it all the time. And some of the best parents and best partners that I have had the pleasure of working with or knowing are people who are so thoughtful and intentional and committed to it because they were raised without that. Um, And I really think that, you know, that that can help people perhaps be less fearful is to feel empowered by just that determination of I can do it differently and I can do it better. Not this inevitability that it's going to just turn out, you know, the same way of everything that I saw before. Hmm. They're great words to kind of going to closing with that it's not the inevitability of what we've experienced before. No. And, you know, again, some of the best partners, best parents, some of the best people, I mean, and this is really where sort of the supernormal title also comes from, is just truly some of the best people that I've had the privilege of working with grew up with some really difficult backgrounds. And they're just so committed to doing it differently as adults, both in their own lives and helping other people have that. And, and I think that, you know, we don't give ourselves enough credit for that. Um, you know, if you don't sort of just toss out that sense of the abnormal and the, the inevitability of, you know, of repetition, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Wow. Dr. Meg J. Um, thank you so much for all of that um we uh we're going to wrap up this first part of this podcast and then we're going to be back next week with um the follow-on to this um and so in in just wrapping up if you had some closing words for now uh for everyone uh what would they be 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, should, I should be more prepared for that question because I get it in every interview and I'm stumped every time. Um, I think it, it would be that, that just to, um, to sort of trust in the power of getting to do things differently. And, um, and to, even if you haven't experienced yet to hear me saying, and Kathy, you may be able to back me up on this, that it is a wonderful feeling to grow up and be a better parent than the one that you had, or have a better relationships than the one that you saw, than the ones that you saw, um, that it is possible. It happens all the time. Um, and it's a truly wonderful feeling. I mean, it makes, you know, it makes the quote ordinary feel very extraordinary. Wow. I'll leave your words at that and say nothing more. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. J. My pleasure. My uh, pleasure. You stay well and we'll look forward to talking more next week. Looking forward to it. Okay. Take care. Thanks for being with us today for part one of this podcast. I hope you found it helpful and I hope you'll join us next week on Thursday, June 3 for part two of the podcast with Dr. Meg. We'll be taking on another three topics, starting with naming it to tame it, the negative impact of keeping secrets and the freedom in sharing. Then we'll talk about depression, acknowledging it, tending to it and overcoming it. And finally, we'll talk about the thing that makes your life yours, deciding what you want and fully living it. To receive notifications of the podcast, subscribe or follow the podcast today and visit overcomingchildsexualabuse.com for more about this and upcoming podcasts. I hope you'll join us next week. Until then, stay well and be good to yourself. Remember, to get help for anything you're going through, reach out to a qualified professional. You can search the internet, call 24-7 hotlines, including the National Child Abuse Hotline, or speak to your doctor for resources. In case of a mental health emergency, please don't hesitate to call 911. Copyright 2021, Kathy Anderson. All rights reserved.